welcome to Two Profs in a Pod. We're so excited to be back. COVID-19 put us on a temporary hiatus, but we are here. We want everyone to know that we're okay, we're restarting, and looking forward to sharing more podcasts with our listeners. This episode focuses on mindfulness. It was recorded pre-COVID-19, but we feel like it is definitely relevant to the world we are living in today. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Two Profs in a Pod. I'm Tanisha. I'm Beth. And we are faculty developers and professors at Glendale Community College in Arizona. And today we have a special guest or a special guest with us today to talk about mindfulness. Our first guest, one of three that we're going to introduce, is Dr. Fernando Romero, a psychology professor at GCC. Hi, Fernando. Fernando has his doctorate degree and was awarded by the Learning Program in the Division of Psychology and Education at Arizona State University. His 20 years of teaching experience includes teaching in K-12 environments as well as in higher education institutions. He's been faculty at GCC since 2005 where he teaches positive psychology, human development, cultural psychology, and introduction to psychology. He occasionally consults and provides training for organizations that are interested in integrating mindfulness, meditation, and positive psychology principles for personal and professional development. Welcome to Two Profs in a Pod. Thank you. All right. And we have Dana Jim, who told us that she lived in a temple for 10 years and was a Buddhist nun for five years. So she's coming to mindfulness from a really interesting perspective. And she also uh, started a program at Lesley University in mindfulness studies, um, which she believes at the time was the first and maybe only master's program in mindfulness studies. Um, Currently, she works at GCC in the Center for Learning, supervising some employees there, and she's taking some English classes and music classes and she helps run the mindfulness space mm-hmm. yes. here at GCC. Hi, Dana. Hi. And our third guest is Deborah Rosique, and she is administrative support for chemistry and physical sciences. And she actually got her start here on campus because she wanted to carve out time over the summer for mindfulness with uh, Dana. So over the summer, they got together and did some meditation mindful practice. Uh, she uh, has worked with many students because she previously worked in enrollment. And one of the things that she learned from her work uh, in enrollment and also in meditation and now mindfulness is learning more patience and compassionate connections with students and people and also the self. Thank you for being here, all three of you. We are going to jump into why we're talking about why this. Why we're talking about this. So Beth, could you tell we're, us why, like honestly, honestly, real talk, why we're, we're talking about this today? We're talking about this because Tanisha and I, well, we've done two episodes on burnout. That's how popular that topic was. Yeah. And after the second episode, Fernando actually reached out by email. And and the way, I don't know if Tanisha interpreted it the same way, but the way I interpreted it was like, okay, Fernando thinks he needs to talk to us now about <laughs> mindfulness after hearing our burnout episode. Um, that's probably not what he intended. But anyway, so of course, 
it's an interesting topic and yes. and relevant and timely and important. So of course we said yes, that would be awesome. Yes. That's- and I think also GCC is doing something interesting with it that probably other campuses are not currently doing and maybe would want to. Yeah, I think it's kind of like a natural uh, follow-up yeah. to your episode. Oh, well, maybe we should have done it first and then we wouldn't have needed the burnout, wouldn't have needed the burnout episode. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> so let's have a little bit about what research says about yes. mindfulness and maybe a definition of mindfulness. So um, a common definition of mindfulness is the moment-to-moment awareness uh, without judgment that you use. And that's something that you can apply anywhere. You can eat mindfully, you can drive mindfully, you can have a conversation with mindfulness. Um, and meditation is more the practice that you can do that is uh, more of a ritual um, over over a longer period of time that involves kind of like a different level of attention. Mindfulness is more target, uh, focused around one issue at a time, monotasking, whereas meditation is, uh, it may involve paying attention to your breath, bringing your attention to your body, sometimes even navigating your emotional world. Um, And at points, uh, you may actually create gaps between your thoughts. So sometimes people think about meditation as emptying your mind, which is kind of impossible to do. And that's why sometimes people feel they're failing at meditation. But in reality, meditation is just um, a conscious way to monitor your awareness over an extended period of time. So you can think of meditation as kind of like the gym that you can uh, practice so that you're fit on the moment-to-moment basis. So that would be kind of like a way to distinguish mindfulness from meditation. Mm. Anything to add? Um, I think the thing I want to add for mindfulness is that, you know, the way I learn it is there's four four foundations of mindfulness. So mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of the feeling, um, mindfulness of um, the mind, then mindfulness of the phenomena. So most of the time when we're doing mindfulness here is really the mindfulness of the body. And so you use your breath as an object and that is part of your body. And some people have argued that mindfulness is actually an incorrect term, that it should be heartfulness. Because in a way, it's more about bringing your emotional, non-cognitive resources onto the present. Because sometimes we just get too much into our our heads. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily what we want. We want to bring the whole person to every situation. And that's what gives you integrity. Yeah, and the the Pali word for mindfulness is called sati. So I also have this memory and recollection, right? Mm -hmm. So... That's why part of the mindfulness is keep on going back to your anchor point, mm-hmm. whatever you set out the object of your meditation is, and that in return trains all the focus and concentration. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what what does research say? So the research uh, says that when we are mindful, uh, we are training our prefrontal cortex. Uh, very specific regions. Uh, one of the main ones is called the ACC, the anterior cingulate cortex. 
And it's kind of like the area of the brain that allows you to integrate all of the different domains, the emotional domain with the cognitive domain. And um, oftentimes we are pretty unidimensional. So let's say, for example, if we're having an argument with someone, we want to be right and we forget what really matters, right? Mm -hmm. So the ACC is the part that allows you to integrate both um, the cognitive and the non-cognitive, allowing you to kind of like integrate the bottom-up and the top-down processes. So it's a completely different way of interacting, communicating, thinking about the world. Um, and by doing this, you can uh, impact stress reduction. Uh, you're less likely to ruminate. So rumination is when the mind goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. So let's say, for example, you had a conflict and then you're driving in your car and then you're like, oh my God, that could have been a perfect comeback line. Mm -hmm. I just want to drive back and tell that yeah. person that. So that's rumination, like that obsessive um, loop of thoughts that go on and on, like inner dialogue. So with mindfulness, you actually begin to quiet that mind that sometimes can, can take over. Um, there's some research that points that we actually spend about 50% of our awake time um, ruminating, just being mindless. And so we may fail to take advantage of the things that are there in front of us. Uh, also, uh, increasing in working memory and focus. Um, you reduce your emotional reactivity. A lot of the times we overreact to things mm -hmm. or we feel that um, we're victims and that we live a life where we're just putting out fires left and right. In this way, you actually begin to notice how you may actually be bringing some of that drama into your life and uh, you can learn to embrace the challenges of everyday life from commuting to difficult coworkers to spouses and children. And overall, this facilitates uh, well-being. So many people talk about happiness, but unfortunately, when people hear happiness, there's a tendency to focus too much on positive emotion alone. Mm -hmm. It has to be a more, a deeper sense of happiness where you actually integrate achievement, meaning, relatedness, and also transcendence. Mm -hmm. So those are the different factors that actually compose well-being. Yeah, and mindfulness really work with the middle, middle, amygdala. Yeah, amygdala. So you know that's the emotional part of the brain. So you know the research has also shown for people who meditate, you know, regularly, there uh, that part of the brain is more thick. So they're, um, you know, they're less reactive and more responsive. And I like the the quote by Victor Frankl is, you know, between stimulus and response there's a space and that's what meditation does it helps yeah. you to cultivate that space so you're not like just being very reactive when you hear anything you know see anything you're able to you know take a breath and then you know then respond i love that idea because it's about creating gaps mm -hmm. sometimes we just go from one thing to the other to the other to the other drive-through kind of mentality but creating the gaps allows you to like really breathe and reflect and take the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And as you meditate regularly, you will also be able to just like immediately before you even speak, like any of your thoughts, you're 
constantly mindful of the thoughts are in your mind. Right. So you are not like the minute, let's say, you, you sense you being a little impatient, you you pick up on it right away. So you could you know um, realign yourself to um, to say the right thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to jump ahead to a question because one of the things that Tanisha and I were talking about before you all got here was just the work ethic in the U.S., which is, and I fall right into this. It's like I go to work and I'm a worker and, you know, I'm doing my work. And then when I go home, I can live life. This sounds horrible, actually, Mm -hmm. when I hear myself saying it. But, and it's not that I'm consciously thinking of that every day, but I, I think I'm not alone in thinking that. So I'm kind of curious about how you sort of merge practicing this mindfulness in a space where we've been conditioned to think, um, you know, you're supposed to be productive right now and producing and, and yet mindfulness seems like, um, it's counterproductive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, So that's a very utilitarian and individualistic approach to a work. Um, about 80% of the world is actually collectivistic. So in the United States is one of the most individualistic nations in the world. So that mindset actually permeates in the work space yeah, here. Absolutely. Um, and something that um, one way that you can begin to integrate this is that um, not everything about the way Americans work is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, because we happen to be some some of the most productive workers there are, but sometimes we have we pay a price for that productivity. And one of the ways that I've heard people describe integrating mindfulness and meditation into the workplace is that uh, you don't have to create that separation. You 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 don't have to say I'm going to stop being a human being when I go to work. Right. Um, <laughs> that you actually can use your work as part of your practice. Does that make sense? Because yeah. if you if you're communicating mm-hmm. better with your coworkers, mm-hmm. you that you're practicing mindfulness, mm-hmm. and you're also are going to help your companies or your institutions bottom line. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that is is going to be exclusive or challenge those uh, specific outcomes. On the contrary, it can make you a much more a uh, satisfied worker, a uh, happier person, someone who communicates. Um, mm-hmm. um, so, like to give you an example, I think that oftentimes in the workplace, we fail to see the talents in people because we stare at them. So we don't really see what people could bring in to the, the company or the organization because we already judge who they are and what they can do. But with mindfulness, you can step back and really listen and really watch and then you could actually allow a person to be who they are and provide those contributions to the organization. Mm-hmm. And when we were talking about it earlier, I see me, I have a different perspective. I see it's a blend of both, that it doesn't have to be either or, it could be and both. Mm-hmm. I, I have that perspective now, but I, I was a lot like Beth as well. Like you just, you work and you, you, you do the grind and you do the work and I will worry about <laughs> 
being mindful of meditating <laughs> later, um, as opposed to finding little moments where it can actually be a natural part of my work cycle. Um, like one way is just active listening, right? Just yeah. being present when people are talking to you, no matter what the topic is about, is one way you can practice mindfulness in the workplace. And it can help you to be right a better team member, a better employee, even more productive just by from the simple act of being present for other people. So it does happen, and I think that's a good point that you brought up. And you know, because other people, I'm sure, have the other mindset is you know, it, when work is work, and that's mm-hmm. what I do, and this is a time and a place and space for it. But there are opportunities throughout your day where it doesn't have to be this separate thing, just embedded as a part of your work cycle. Yeah. So I mean, that's absolutely because what you're trained. You know, on the cushion is what you're supposed to practice 24 7. It's not just about when you sit there to meditate, you're practicing mindfulness. Right. So it's to really integrate like all times to go back to your breath and focus. And you will realize that when you do that, you actually, your productivity actually goes up. It doesn't go down because a lot of times when you're so busy, you're actually kind of wired. So even though you are, you seem like you're doing a lot of work, but you know, you might not be that productive so to have you know for instance when we do our um, daily meditation like I notice that like my productivity actually goes up after I meditate because Mm -hmm. I have that space and you know to just clear my mind and then it's like thoughts and ideas you know come about you know after that and so I see it as um, more productivity but I know that to a large audience like most people would think you know, you just sit there doing nothing. But, you know, once I listened to this guy, I was saying, you know, think about, you know, we brush our teeth for our dental hygiene. The meditation is really a, a mental hygiene. Mm-hmm. You know, give yourself a couple minutes to, you know, just unwind. Right. I think for myself, it's it's because I'm so much more aware of myself and my space um, to find points of collaboration. Um, like I'm a foster champion on campus. So those are people that work with students that are aging out of the foster care system and entering college so it's a collaborative group of people all across campus and i think finding those points of collaboration and how we can work together to do really incredible things came from me out of my meditation that i sought out those kinds of collaborative efforts um, to sort of integrate how i work what i do and how can we bring other people into it right And another thing Tanisha and I were talking about that that you looked up was an article from, well, you looked at the National Institute of Health website that actually talked about mindfulness at work. Yeah. um, It talked about what is mindfulness, uh, relaxation techniques, it talked about yoga, and even provided some resources about, um, you know, productivity at work. So um, I'm sure we'll link to it in the show notes. I'm curious what year that came out too. Um, I don't know. I tried to see if I could yeah. see like a last updated date. I didn't see it, yeah. but um, it just talked about some, I think some really interesting things that I think our listeners would be really interested in, you know, and, it, and it's on the radar of the U.S. Department of Health Services. So I guess that's pretty legit. <laughs> yeah. And actually, Deborah and I are planning on going, going to the Globe Mindfulness Global Summit this, oh. in June in L.A. And that's exactly they're going to talk about, you know, mindfulness in the work leadership and workspace and everything so you have people from google and many different presenters will be there yeah well, that's yeah. awesome we're gonna have to invite you back for yes, i know 2.0 <laughs> i'm I not joking 
Okay, so if you would like to share, we're mixing up our template for our regular listeners, just so you know, we're, we're mixing it up a little bit today. If you would like to share what your practice and mindfulness has meant for you, maybe we could spend a little bit of time doing that. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously I have already spoke a little bit about how much it's developed my ability to have patience and heightened compassion when working with students. Um, but it also throughout my life has helped to get me through a lot of really uh, rough times or, or troubles. I had a serious critical accident. Um, and one of the things in having a critical traffic accident and then head trauma is to have a lot of unexpected emotional symptoms, right? So a concussion can come along with um, sporadic memory loss. It can come with a lot of anxiety, insomnia, a lot of emotional um, baggage that you're not really expecting along with all the physical healing that you go through. Um, and a lot of people can tend to have those symptoms for a really, really long time because of rumination, of thinking about the same things over and over again, of sort of getting swallowed up by the anxiety, getting swallowed up by these emotions and not getting past them. Um, and for me to use meditation or mindfulness as a center point allowed me to create space to um, sort of interrupt those cycles, to sort of create a positive outlook, um, a new positive track for the brain. Um, and there has been some sort of indications um, that you can actually use meditation to physically do that, to sort of reroute your brain and prevent long-term uh, symptoms from head trauma and concussions. And I think that um, in addition, you can see the whole experience as a gift when you can take time out, I guess, for review through mindfulness. So it made me also put myself in the place of students that I deal with, veteran students who have undergone a head trauma and look at it as a gift that I can see things from how it looks on their viewpoint. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it was a benefit. It helped me in the healing process, but it helped me to look at it a gift, a way to see myself in someone else's shoes. So, um, I mean, mindfulness and meditation has always been my passion. Um, so that's why I started, you know, a mindfulness group here at GCC five years ago is to bring that, you know, to the community. Um, for me, mindfulness um, really helps with concentration and uh, part of the practice, it, you naturally develop wisdom. So when you practice a lot of mindfulness, then you, when you have the wisdom, then you know how to make decisions better in life. And when you go through challenges, you know how to tackle with them. Uh, so that, that is a big part um, of, of meditation for me. And, and also it really um, just helps me with, especially when I went through my cancer journey with chemo and surgery, and um, it, it really helped me to be able to accept things as they are and also to um, like right now after all the treatments I really use meditation as a way to reveal my memory and I definitely feel like you know it helps me a lot with that um, so I'd like to bring mindfulness to as many people <laughs> as possible but I'm also not ever the pushy pushy type I mm -hmm. you know I talk about it if you're interested you're welcome but otherwise you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what mindfulness means to me is that I'm a better tennis player. 
<laughs> and the reason I mentioned that is that uh, I pretty much accidentally stumble onto mindfulness because of performance anxiety. So I do have genetic tendencies towards mild anxiety. And um, after grad school, I always wanted to play tennis competitively. So I would go to tournaments and underperform and I would be upset. So I started to learn about strategies to become a better tennis player. And then I realized, oh, this is actually deeper than tennis. This is about me being an anxious person. And then I started to see how this allowed me to open up and enjoy other things and take risks and, and accept that I would always have that anxiety. So um, I have befriended my, my anxiety. It's part of my genetic composition. Um, but now instead of dragging me down, it's actually part of what I, it's part of the fuel and the force that I use to accomplish what I want to accomplish in life. So I teach positive psychology here and I tell my students, I think I teach this class more for me than for you. <laughs> because, because I really believe that um, had I known that this existed when I was 19 years old, I could have avoided a lot of mistakes, mm. a lot of uh, detours in life. Um, so I find that obviously in life you're going to have ups and downs, right? My, but now my downs are not so low and I don't really need to enhance the highs because even small things can give me uh, a lot of joy. That, that is definitely a comment I always hear from people that they the way they view me, they're just like, you're just like, you know, like so even, right? Like, and I don't really have all the ups and downs and I, I was thinking there's something wrong with me, you know, right? Because <laughs> other people, they have so much excitement and so I like to, I, I always like to be the listener because I'm, I'm always fascinated with their life, you know? It's right. like right. so many, you know, things that they, it could be trip up you know them so badly i'm like it's not a big deal i don't understand why are you so tripped up you know yeah so and that and that's a principle called equanimity mm -hmm. where you actually learn to navigate life in a smoother way with a which is kind of like the opposite of bipolar where you uh -huh. go from chaos to rigidity mm -hmm. and back and forth like mm -hmm. living a, a roller coaster life mm -hmm. Do you want to answer that question too, Tanisha? Because I know you you have participated. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, a while ago, I was definitely an active member of the mindful group. Uh, unfortunately, I stepped away because my schedule just got busy and I didn't make it as much of a priority. Um, but I know when I was in practice, uh, there is this sense of like calmness, this sense of peace even in the midst of chaos i think the best way you can describe it is you feel like you're in the eye of the middle of, in the eye of a storm like you know how in the hurricane there's the eye of a storm and even in the midst of the chaos there's this moment of peace it felt like that when i was in practice with meditation uh daily for 20 minutes a day and attending the group there was this sense of you know in the midst of the storm and craziness there is this center point that you can always go to um, also, it kind of helped with management of emotions. It helped with rumination, all types of things. So, and now being out of practice, I can feel the difference. And I've been out of practice um, for a while. I've been trying to get back into practice with like little five minute, 10 minute spurts. 
But man, what a difference it makes because it's, it, I feel like it's not as easy to find my center when there's a lot going on. And there's a lot going on just in general, just with work life, home life in general. Um, so mindfulness is important because it, it feels like it, it, it's very helpful in just centering you in the middle of chaos. And it's nice being able to go to that, that center point, especially when you need it the most. And then Dana, do you want to talk just a little bit about our mindfulness space on campus? Is it a space where you have a certain time every day where people can come? Can they come at any yes. time? Yes. So they could come Mental at any space. time. We open from eight to seven, Monday to Thursday, Fridays, eight to four. And our regular practice is Monday to Thursday from one thirty to two. So that is a group meditation together. We can have discussions or questions. Um, and also it's, it's good to be in a group meditation because sometimes you might just not be in the mood to meditate. But once you go into that group, it holds you there, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I remember once I, I joined an evening meditation at someone's house and it was like, we're meditating for one hour outside. And I specifically asked like, oh, are there mosquitoes? And he's like, oh no. And so I was like meditating and there was a mosquito with me for an hour and I couldn't like really move or get up, you know, but so that's the beauty of, you know, the group meditation, it, you know, it kind of holds you there and then, you know, you work with whatever is coming up. Yeah. I, I do want to um, qualify certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, one is there is a lot of misconceptions about mindfulness and meditation. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is you do have to be careful uh, because when you become mindful and, uh, and when you practice meditation, um, you really become more objective, you observe better, and, and you're more open-minded, which could potentially make you vulnerable. So a lot of cult mentality, for example, actually preys on people's uh, goodwill to open up and listen to ideas. So you want to also maintain your critical thinking and you want to make sure that whatever uh, is being, uh, you know, whatever the goal is for the practice, that it actually does align with your principles, with with your ideas, uh, because you actually have to create some boundaries and limitations. So some that's that could be kind of like a dangerous side uh, for being way too open. Um, and, and also making sure that, that you actually do understand what these principles mean. And because there's a, a kind of like a tendency to, towards corrupting uh, and hijacking a lot of these philosophies and ideas. So you see people like the Grand Canyon doing a yoga pose and mm-hmm. being all mindful, posting that on Facebook, but they don't really practice it. And it's just a show. Mm-hmm. Um, so making sure that that is not just a fad or something else that people are doing in a very superficial way. Um, so this is a lot deeper than just... Yeah, it, it's more than just, a you know, mindfulness, like it's a panacea for all your problems, you know? Yeah. I think that's what I realized, like, when I was doing more research, I'm just like, well, you know, there's, you know, the, the most important part of mindfulness is the practice part. It's not yeah. talking, you know? So, I mean, the, the practice is very simple, but what you gain could be very profound. And also when you practice meditation, what you feel on the inside is uniquely different from everyone, right? So whenever I meditate, I tend to feel peace and ease and other people who meditate, some emotional stuff could come up. So those are all normal experiences. It's, it's really a work with yourself and see what's coming up and how you're uh, interacting 
with the, with mm-hmm. whatever is coming up. Um, yeah. Just to piggyback on the idea that is not a panacea, um, you have to also be careful about the limitations. So let's say, for example, you're dealing with a mental health issue, or practicing mindfulness and meditation can help in addition to your therapy. But it should not be perceived as, oh, this is a replacement that I can do by myself. And um, no, I, whatever you do when you're when you're doing it mindfully. It just attains a better quality, but you do have to show up to do work and work. (laughs) You cannot just be mindful and and procrastinate. It's not a replacement for the things that we need to do for ourselves, uh, but it's a really nice compliment. And and just to piggyback on that is that when you maintain a routine practice, it helps you with, let's say, depression or bipolar or Mm -hmm. some of the mental challenges. But at the same time, you're not doing it the minute you're having an episode, then you're trying to meditate, it's not going to work. So you have to keep in mind of that as well. And then speaking of assumptions, I think another assumption, and I even had this assumption when I first started, because one of the first questions I asked, my question was like, what is the religious connection to mindfulness? And um, I think that's a common assumption that all mindfulness practice is connected to religion, but that's not true. And I know that's also not the focus of the mindful space either. So could you, could you guys speak on that too? When you think about mindfulness, you could just think about for your healthy body and mind. Right. Right. Is, is mindfulness really help you with just being that that awareness and then mm-hmm. it help you with developing wisdom so you make better decisions in right. life, right? Like the anchor point is nothing like you're, you know, like trying, nobody's teaching you to recite a mantra or to right. do a prayer, you know, right. it could be, you know, you could do a visualization of the ocean, you know, right. focus on your breath, whatever the anchor point you choose to be. You know, you're not learning like religious doctrines, or right? Like right, that. and it's yeah. a range. Like I've heard of love and compassion being an anchor, right? Mm-hmm. Like focus on something you love, like mm-hmm. that could be your dog, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or or the loving kindness meditation <laughs> where you're just saying phrases like first you give love kindness to yourself, and then it's to a close friend, and then it's to a neutral person, and then it's to a difficult person that mm-hmm. you are having difficulty with. So as you're sending, even with the most difficult person, to see if you could still send love and kindness to them. So, so it's it's really cultivating that love. If you could love yourself, then you could love right. others, and then you're transferring all the merits to the world. So yeah. I think it's useful to to think of this as the scientific side of it, and then the artistic side of it. So, for example, I teach uh, human development. And I'm also a parent. And I could know everything that there is to know about theory, and I could still be a lousy parent. So um, there is a scientific component, and there is an actually legitimate field of study called positive psychology. Mm -hmm. Um, And and there is a lot of research in in neuroscience and psychology that actually overlaps tremendously with this. But then it's a whole different thing to actually put it into practice into your life. And that's the art side of it. That is something that is much more personal. Mm-hmm. And the way that uh, Dana practices, uh, her her practice may actually be slightly different from mine because she may have a, a different worldview, a different culture, right. slightly different values or priorities. So that's, that's the component where you, you, you have a lot of freedom, but is the practice, the side that is much more personal 
and that allows for a lot of diversity. Right. Um, academically, we do have certain standards for, you know, uh, both research and practice, uh, but more and more this is becoming part of a mainstream set of practices that are being used for clinical therapy, also for training of professionals, nurses, uh, dental hygienists, um, UCLA trains their doctors, uh, UMass trains their doctors um, into in incorporating all of these principles in actual uh, medical practice. Yeah, because the research have shown the mindfulness-based stress reduction, right, really right. help with patients' uh, healing and stuff. And this is this has really been interesting, and I, I hope our listeners have enjoyed it yeah. as much as we have. Well, why don't we end with uh, let's end with our nuggets? Yeah. What are some nuggets you would like to share with our listeners? Um, I think that to just carve out, give meditation a shot. You know, try it five minutes per day. Um, and also, really, I, I've been talking about this quite a lot, is that if faculty and, um, could implement it in their classroom, it's an easy thing to implement. It doesn't cost anything. You just start with your class with three minutes of mindfulness breathing. And even when students are running late, they will come in, you know, quietly and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that is a very simple thing to implement. And I've... I've attended a conference where um, they presented it, how it was very helpful for the classroom. And uh, maybe consider mindfulness as a uh, quiet way to be kind to yourself. And I think you'll find that in turn, it's easier to be kinder to others, that you can spread that around. So I'd like to use a quote. Um, it takes time to become uh, what we already are. And I think it's very, very important to tap onto that inner child and, and allow it to, um, you know, give us guidance and wisdom in our lives. Thank you so much, Fernando, yeah. Dana, and Deborah, our yes. for Thank talking you. with us today about yeah. mindfulness. I'm super excited. Like, just the whole <laughs> vibe. It's like, oh, I feel ready to just go and practice. I'm so excited for it. I can't wait. So thank you so much for your time. Well, that was a really nice chat with Deborah, Dana, and Fernando. Since that meeting, of course, COVID-19 has struck. The conference Dana was scheduled to attend went virtual, and she conducted one of her first online meditations. Also, GCC's meditation space went virtual, and faculty, staff, and students were invited to attend. They will continue the practice this fall. Thanks for tuning in. We're taking a turn in future podcasts and hope to be sharing campus chats with some of our colleagues. We hope you'll tune in and listen and take part in our virtual community.